All right, amen. Let's get started tonight. Father, as we come to you, Lord, we just lift our brother Lonnie Knowles and his beautiful wife Annette up to you. Father, I thank you that Lonnie is the heel of the Lord. And we just set ourselves in agreement with you and, and your word. Father, we say the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is making alive every cell in Lonnie's body. I thank you, Father, that his body is supernaturally producing white blood cells. I thank you, Father, that it's fighting the infection that's trying to destroy him. And I thank you that no weapon formed against him, Lord, this evening will prosper. Lord, I thank you, Father, that um, your word is alive and active in their lives and in their family. And we just agree together now, Father, uh, with you. And we say, come kingdom, be done will of God on earth now as it is in heaven. And we believe you and thank you for it. Father, for this class time together, we just pray over all those that are present in the room, all those that are joining us uh, through the internet. Father, I, I thank you, Lord, that um, you have uh, ordained this evening and your word uh, for such a time as this. And I thank you for helping us bring our hearts to attention now. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand and receive your word with meekness. I thank you, Father, that you are renewing our minds and transforming our lives. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen and amen. All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, let's begin in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And um, I'm going to maybe put one or two of these verses up, but I'm going to read a few to you tonight. Um, and, um, and we'll just kind of springboard off of this. Amen. I'm going to try to uh, do a little bit of review from last week, um, but if I'm not careful, it, it, you know, review, 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 we don't have enough time to really keep moving forward. So um, we'll let the Holy Spirit lead us and help us on how much to review and how much um, uh, to not, uh, you know, review. But anyway, praise God. James chapter 1, let's uh, begin at verse number 18. It says, Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So, He's talking about our new birth here. And that we are not like um, other human beings who have not been born again. There has been a, a literal, tangible, measurable, verifiable difference um, between the one who has been born again and the one who has not yet been born again. Let's keep reading. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You can't get mad enough at another person, nor can you get mad enough at yourself to make yourself righteous or to make somebody else righteous. It's simply anger can't produce that. Right? Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Alright, so we're answering this very important question, what is man? What is man? We said that there were three very important fundamental life questions um, that need to be answered, and they need to be answered in this order because they build one upon the other. And the first one is, what is man? The second one is, 
who is man or who am I? What am I? Who am I? And then the third and final one is why am I? We said why we exist has to do with our purpose. Who we are has to do with our identity. But what we are has to do with our origin. Our origin. Jesus never revealed His purpose until He revealed first His identity. And what we understand from that, it is your identity that will unlock your destiny. It will unlock your purpose. Until you know who you are, you'll never be able to comprehend why you are because why you are is, is so grand. It's, it's of tremendous importance and magnitude. Right? But in the same way that we have to understand who we are to know why we are, we need an understanding of what we are to support those others as well. And so we rolled up our sleeves to dig into this. And I made the statement last week, and I'll make it again this week, that there are certain things, especially related to this subject, that would be, I guess, easier um, for us to just move on past. It's some strong truth. It's controversial truth. It's things that people almost, you know, repulse away from. It's, it's, it's like, whoa, you know, like they touch something electric or something, you know. And, um, and then the enemy, of course, really surrounds these truths because he never really wants you to embrace and understand the stronger truths that really dig deep into our hearts to bring freedom. Remember, um, Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so if truth, generally speaking, produces freedom, reality in our lives, we see that it's not understanding the truth or believing something other than the truth that keeps us locked down, that keeps us in bondage. Well, the enemy is the one who's the liar. The enemy is the one who's the deceiver. The enemy is the one. Remember, look at those verses last week trying to get you and me to trivialize ourselves into silliness and confusion so that there's neither sense nor direction left in our lives. So, when we talk about the truth setting us free, we understand that some truths in God's Word are stronger than others. And it's the stronger truths, amen, that, that really, let's just say it this way, break some of the more stubborn chains in our lives. And some of the most important truths that you will ever embrace when it comes to the Word of God has to do and surrounds these three questions. What am I? Who am I? Why am I? But because the other two are supported by this first one, you're going to see more resistance, more pushback from the enemy where these truths are concerned more than any others. Because he knows that if you never know truly what you are, whatever you learn about who you are from the Bible won't, won't really stick you know, to the pecan um, like it should. Okay? And, and if who you are never really sticks, then he's pretty much um, you know, uh, at rest concerning you being much of a threat to him. Um, so do you see how and why this true reality of, of who and what we are um, is something that the enemy uh, fights us tooth and toenail, so to speak. Amen? Alright, so don't be alarmed if some of the things that are coming out of my, out of my mouth tonight from the Bible uh, concern you, um, even maybe for some of you, startle you a little bit. I'm not doing this to be controversial. I've been accused of that before. I've been accused of just trying to you know, punch people in the mouth with the Word of God. You know, that, that's, that has nothing to do with this. Um, it, it has everything to do 
with the Holy Spirit taking the Holy Word of God and renewing our, our minds and strengthening us inwardly um, to provide line upon line in our lives that will support some of these other things pertaining to our greater destiny and Father's kingdom. Amen? All right. So in this um, passage, we, we read a lot, and I'm not going to try to comment on all that tonight, but again, back to verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, what he's saying here is that the Word of God is like a mirror. In other words, when you go to a mirror in the morning to brush your hair, comb your hair, what have you, and you look into that mirror, you see a reflection back of your physical outward person. Well, the Word of God is like that, only it's a spiritual mirror, and it doesn't reflect back um, your, your outward uh, uh, image, but it reflects back to you your inner image. In other words, it, it reveals who and what and why you really are and, and really exist. Amen. And, but notice he says that we look into this and, and we see some things, but if we're a hearer only and become forgetful and, and never follow through and do, it would be like someone looking in the mirror in the morning and seeing that they need to wash their face, seeing that they need to comb their hair, but just basically just kind of walking away and forgetting about what they saw when they looked. Amen. Well, in our case, we're not looking into this perfect law and this mirror and, and, and it's revealing you know, only where we need to change, but it's also reflecting to us what we are, who we are, and why we are. We find it here. We've got to find it here. Remember, Jesus found Himself in the Scriptures. And we've got to find ourselves in the Scriptures and along all three of these lines. Now, let me... I'm not sure. I mentioned this last week, and I, I believe by the Holy Spirit prompting me, either I, either I did and need to again or I, or I didn't. Either way, let me say this very quickly. We've talked almost from day one in here about this idea of a minister of reconciliation. And we talked about reconciling and, and what reconciliation looks like. And we used the example of a checkbook. And, and in your registry, you can have what you think you have, but then the bank sends the statement, and you reconcile that checkbook. That's when you bring what you thought you had into alignment with what they said you have. Okay. Now, I actually did this the other day, and, um, and my bank had actually um, put a rather large deposit um, into another person's account. Matter of fact, found somebody that really helped me. They tracked it down, and they had put my deposit into uh, a man's account in Tennessee. Okay? Uh, no kidding. All right? And, um, and of course, they, they fixed it. But notice now, in this case, you know, we often think, well, I thought I had $500 in there, and I've only got $250. No, no. In this case, it was the other way. Um, there should have been more money in my account than there actually was. So notice now, what do we do? We, we brought it in. We brought it into alignment. We got it, we got it reconciled. All right? So when we look at our lives and we think of all these different areas that we need to bring our thoughts and thinking into alignment with God, it can almost be overwhelming. Amen? I mean, it's like, oh my goodness, gracious sakes alive, you know. Because... You know, your thoughts and thinking affect everything that has anything to do with you. 
And so it's like, well, man, I don't even know where to begin with all this, Pastor Mark. This is where we begin right here. What am I? Who am I? Why am I? If you will reconcile your thoughts, bring your thoughts into agreement with what God has said to be true about your origin, your identity, and your purpose, you're going to be amazed at how many of those 16,000 things that seem to overwhelm you are resolved by just simply having your mind renewed by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit concerning these three core fundamental aspects of your existence. Amen? That's good news. I mean, I don't know if, you know, I hope you're maturing enough now to recognize good news when you hear it, okay? Uh, and I, I, I'm not being tongue-in-cheek in that. The Bible says that, that there are folks who don't recognize good when it comes. But that's good. That's good news right there. See, the devil tries to get us so scattered and so overwhelmed and, and we're running over here trying to put a fire out over here. Now we're running over here trying to put a fire out over there. Now we got a financial problem. Now we got a marital problem. Now, now we got all, and it's like, no, 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 listen. You're going to be amazed at how, how your, your marriage is going to improve. Your finances are going to improve. Your health, even physical health, mental health, emotional health is, is going to improve as you simply grow in these areas of understanding, reconciliation concerning, again, origin, identity and purpose right but notice in this case he says for he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets not who he is not what his purpose is not what he should have went and done that day not what the commandments even are but immediately forgets what kind of man what kind of man he was amen so again, we look into the Scriptures and we see a reflection of what kind of man, what kind of man with a womb, woman, we actually are. Alright, last week we, and I'm going to go through these quickly, don't try to keep up with me, I'll, when we get to a spot I'll tell you, turn here, okay? But Genesis 1 we saw where God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, we said that this means that we were made not just to resemble God, we were made after Him, but we were made also, we were made from Him. We were made to look like He looks, and we were made to function the way He functions. Okay? Alright? Then we looked in Genesis 2, where we see both in verse 18 and again in verse 20, that there was none found on earth comparable, comparable to Adam. And because there was none comparable to him, there were none compatible with him. And this is because we were not made comparable to anything on this earth. We were made comparable to our Creator to be compatible. We'll talk more about that tonight um, with Him. Okay? Now, turn with me to Psalm 82. Amen. Psalm 82. All right? Thank you, Jesus. All right, you've got to promise me not to run. You've got to promise me you're going to be back next week. Okay? You've got to promise you're not going to think I'm some cult leader or something like that. There's been a, a lot of folks who have accused me over the years of those things. Amen. Alright? Psalm 82. I hope that you look at every passage that I ask you to turn to and even some that I don't, but I really want you to see this because I want you to think that I'm making this up. Alright? Psalm 82, verse number 1. It says this, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. 
How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Now, you're going to find that Selah in the book of Psalms a lot. Okay, I love the way the Passion Translation translates Selah. And it simply means this. Pause in His presence. Pause in His presence. We might say it more along these lines. You need to think about that for a minute. Okay? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods. This is God speaking here. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. Okay, it's getting quiet in here, so understandably so. Now, when I say things are controversial, obviously this is a passage that is extremely controversial. One thing that you're going to have to come to terms with before we go any further and we talked about this on Sunday at Heritage, right? We didn't choose Him. He chose us. Far too many people in the body of Christ acting like they found God instead of God found them. Far too many people in the body of Christ acting like they're the ones that did the choosing. Okay? Now, think for a moment. And I, I, was, thinking, I was meditating on that more this week. Think for a moment if you were to say to somebody, hey, hold on a second here. You, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Think about the heart. Think about what you would be trying to correct. Think about the attitude you would be trying to, to uh, you know, uh, form or bend, right? If you felt compelled to say to someone in a situation, well, hold on just a second here, all right? You didn't hire us, we hired you, right? <laughs> in other words, we didn't... You, we, we didn't, you didn't choose us, we, we chose you. Now obviously, you know, if an invitation was extended and you accepted it, you could somehow construe that in your heads that you did the choosing. But God did the choosing here. Now, when, it, when, it, when we say that He chose us, He's the one who decided what, who, and why you are. I didn't decide this. It wasn't like I said, God, you either create me a little bit lower than yourself or don't create me at all. That was not my doing. That was not my choosing. This is what Father has chosen. And He has created us in light of what was in His heart before He ever breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam. He spoke to Himself when He created us. He created us from Himself. Now, if you'll notice here, in this particular passage, the G is the lowercase g, as it should be. But what he's saying here, again, if we get so hung up on what God is saying, 
and, and, and that he, he can't be right in this, we miss the corrective word that he's bringing. He's in essence saying, I have put you in a position of authority and people are being pillaged. People are being taken advantage of, right? There are people who are struggling and I've put you in a position to help them and you're not helping them. And most of the time, you know, we're not helping people not because we don't want to help them, but because we don't think we can. And God is saying, do you not have any idea I said that when I stand amongst you, I stand among the mighty. I stand in the congregation of the mighty. Not the congregation of the measly. Not the congregation of the pitiful. I stand in the congregation of the powerful. I said you are gods and you are children of the Most High. How long are you going to sit around twiddling your thumbs, sticking your head in the sand, and depending like, acting like that there's, that there's no need, and that, there's, that there's no cause, that there's, that there's no issues in the world that you've been equipped to be an answer to? This is what he's saying here. Not so you be full of yourself. You go tell your family, I learned down a heritage that I'm God. No, that's not, that's, not, that's not what he's saying here. That's not what he's saying here. Now, <clears throat> turn with me to John, the 10th chapter. John chapter 10, and verse number 33. Thank you, Jesus. John chapter 10 and verse 33. Now, I, there's a lot here. I'm just going to try to get straight to it, okay? John 10 and 33 says, The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? So just in case you're thinking that David maybe ate too much pizza and pinned something that was not right or misspelled a word, it was supposed to be goats and he put gods or something like that in here. Now we have Jesus quoting it from the Old Testament when the religious leaders are about to stone him, they're about to stone him because he said God was his father. Now, they did the math real quick in their head. If he says God is his father, then he's saying that he's God's son. And if he's saying he's God's son, then he's saying he's God. And so they picked up a rock to kill him. And Jesus said, hold on a second now. Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? Verse 35, if He, God, called them gods to whom the Word of God came, and the Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of Him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? So notice, Jesus met them head on. He didn't say, no, 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 that's not what that means. Just because I said God is my Father, that's not what you, you're jumping to conclusions here. Let's, no, Jesus said, look, you're, you're upset with me because of what I've said, 
and you don't even understand what your own Scriptures say. And by the way, those Scriptures say this, and those Scriptures cannot be broken. And yet Jesus is saying, I didn't even go that far. I could have said, I am God, because of what the Word says. All I said was, I am the Son of God. Amen. Just curious, anybody in here children of God? Amen. All right. Now, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17. We've looked at this passage before. I'll put it up on the screen. Love has been perfected among us. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. As He is, so are we in this world. Amen. Let me, can, I, can I do this real quick? Um, I, I know some of you are still trying to find that one. I'm fixing to go to another one. Let me um, just, if you're taking notes, write down the references. And you can go back and look them up later. But I want to kind of just move rather quickly through this section. Okay? So I'm just trying to show you related verses. I'm trying to show you that this is not just some random thing where somebody mistranslated something and now, you know, some extreme fanatical born-again person, you know, is... Is, uh, is, is taking something out of context and trying to you know, be superior to everybody and everything else. No, no, that's, that's not what's going on here. These are, these are basics. These are fundamentals. This is how God sees you. This is, this is when God thinks of you, this is how He thinks of you. Amen. Amen. And again, He said it in the Psalms. Now Jesus has confirmed it in John. Now in 1 John... He says, as He, Jesus is, so are we in this world. Let me run through a few more. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 10. For it was fitting for Him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both He who sanctifies, that's God, and those who are being sanctified, that's you and me, are all of one. For which reason He is not ashamed to call them brethren. That expression, are all of one, literally means are one and the same. And so Jesus is not ashamed to call you His brother. John chapter 17, verse 11. Now, Jesus speaking, written in red. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Skip down to verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word, that they all may be one, as You, Father, are in Me, and I in You, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that You sent Me, and the glory which You gave Me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one." I in them and you in me, and that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Come on, is anybody alive in this room this evening? Are you, are you hearing what Jesus is saying here? Now listen, I, I understand if nobody ever taught you this, if, if you've never heard this, 
I even understand if you were raised in church and nobody's ever told you this or have never had this explained to you. But I'm not making this up. This is not my, my handwritten version of the Bible. This is, this is what God is saying. This is His heart. He's trying to breathe these truths into us. He wants you to understand who you are in His eyes and the reason that He created you in His image and in His likeness as He did. Amen. Amen. Alright, so I told you that there were two areas that make people really nervous. Two lines that people have a tendency to stay very far from. Amen. And those two lines have to do with reaching some some sort of conclusion as to how much like God are we and how much like us was Jesus. Okay? How much like Him are we? I mean, we were made in His image and in His likeness, but I mean, how much like Him are we? Are you following what I'm saying? See, this goes to what kind of man you are. This, this boils down to your origin. It boils down to what you are. Amen. Well, let's talk about it for a minute, alright? In... Um, uh, Biology, science, zoology, there's something called taxonomy. And and taxonomy is basically the earthly system of classifying all living things. Now, it was several years ago on a Friday that we had in those days, something called, don't be blown away by this catchy title, okay? Designated Days to Seek the Lord. Amen. Alright? And guess what those designated days to seek the Lord were all about? They were days on the calendar that were designated to seek the Lord. Amen. And so we would have services in the morning, services in the evening, and... Um, and we, we do it Sunday through Wednesday. But this year, man, it was just Holy Ghost and fire. And so we decided to go through Friday. And that Friday night, I preached a sermon called Friday Night in the House of the Lord. Amen. It's one of Wally's top tens, praise God. It's too much to explain right now. All right. As a matter of fact, a young man had come by my office that, that afternoon when I was studying, and the Lord had begun to show me these things, and um, he came by to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we were in there praying in the Holy Ghost, I don't know, for probably an hour, and, um, and when we came out, it had gotten dark, and there's no lights on in the building, and when I opened the door, my door bumped into a young man named Aaron Brazil. He was laying in the floor outside my office door. Speaking in tongues, praying the Holy Ghost with us. Amen. So you, you remember that night, I'm sure, brother. It was life-changing for all of us. Now, I'm not going to try to re-preach that sermon. But we dared to answer this question that night. How much like Him are we? And the Lord led me to this subject of taxonomy. And the first thing we see about taxonomy is that all living things 
are first of all categorized into kingdoms. Okay? And while it's not, you know, taxonomy is not like from the Holy Spirit, okay? So let me get that clear. But in this case, the Holy Spirit was taking something physical to make a spiritual point, much in the way that Jesus would use a comparable or a parable. So I begin to think, well, clearly I can make a biblical case that I'm a citizen of God's kingdom, so at least when it comes to taxonomy, I am in the same kingdom as Him. Well, if you follow down that scale, the next category narrows the pool and divides the pool of all living things. You know, like kingdoms will be the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom. You got the idea, right? But then, within every kingdom, there are something called phylums. And phylums is, the simply, uh, is simply grouping together all classes of organisms that have the same basic body plan. Well, again, I, I could certainly, from Scripture, back up that not only am I in the same kingdom as God, that I would also be in the same phylum as Him because, again, I have the same body plan created in His image and likeness. Now, of all those that are in the same kingdom, and then from kingdom you break kingdom up into phylums, you break phylums up into classes of beings. Different classes of beings are determined by the organisms that not only have a common body plan, but they share a common attribute. Share a common attribute. Okay? Now, we're going to dig into this more in the days ahead, but we absolutely share common attributes with God, do we not? For instance, our, our ability to speak, our, our ability to, to talk and, and, to, and to speak words, a common attribute. So again, working my way down this taxonomy scale, I see that not only am I in the same kingdom as He is, I'm in the same phylum, having the same body plan. I'm now in the same class of being because I share a common attribute with Him. From class then, all organisms that are of the same class are broken into other groups. And this one wasn't as direct as a connection perhaps as some, okay? Because the idea of all living things that are of the same order, okay, this, this has to do with different kinds of similarities that would differentiate them from other organisms that would be in the same class, but not necessarily in the same order. Okay? So unique characteristics like a meat eater or, or the size of, a, of an organism, uh, walnuts, hickory nuts, you, you understand what I'm saying, those types of deal. Okay? So you think, well, did I, I, I remember going through it this after, that afternoon. I remember thinking, well, okay, that's pretty cool. I can at least make a case um, for kingdom phylum in class. Order I'm not so much sure about, you know, because it wasn't any really direct correlation, right? So I said, well, let me just see if I could push it maybe one more level of similarity. And boy, this is when it started to explode in my spirit, because 
all living organisms that are of the same order are then narrowed into smaller groups that would be considered the same family. The same family. Come on now. <laughs> well, well we just, we're on to something now, right? Because God doesn't just consider me a creation. He considers me family. He calls me His own. He says I'm His son. He invites me to not just call Him Father, but to call Him Abba, to call Him Daddy. He says that I'm His heir, and that I'm a joint heir with Jesus. And Jesus is the one who's sanctifying me. And I'm the one being sanctified by Him. But we're all of one. And He's not ashamed to call me His brother. And He's the captain of my salvation. And He suffered for me so that He could lead me into the same glory that He has. And now we see that the glory that was given to Jesus, Jesus has given it to me. And the love that fathers love Jesus with, He now loves me with that same love. I'm a member of the family. I'm a member of the family. From here we go to something called a genus. Now again, this was where it kind of started falling apart because, because you know, it, it gets pretty nitpicky uh, as far as the details are concerned when it comes to organisms that would be in the same family but not the same genus. And so I thought, well, I'm not genius enough to figure out if we're of the same genus, right? And I almost closed it down right there, but I said, you know, I'm going to push it once more because just like I almost quit it at order and then I saw family, I said, well, I'm going to see. And so the next level of classification is the most finite, okay? And by most finite, I mean that these are the organisms that are the most like one another according to the taxonomy scale than any other organism, okay? And those are organisms who are of the same species. Amen. Now, if you look at the number one defining characteristic of organisms that would be considered of the same species, again, this is, this is really refined, okay? But the number one uh, determining factor of organisms that are of the same species, these would be things that are alive and can bear one another's young. Amen. Hallelujah. Anybody with me yet? Hallelujah. Okay. Because it seems to me like the Holy Spirit overshadowed a teenage virgin girl named Mary and she gave birth to the Son of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm telling you, according to our own taxonomy scale, we're not just of the same kingdom, we're not just of the same phylum, class, order, family, genus, but we are literally of the same species of God. We are so much like Him that we can become impregnated by Him and give birth to Him on planet earth. Hallelujah. Are you, are you seeing this? So this idea that that certainly He's God. He's the uncreated one. We're the created one. Certainly He's number one. But remember, this uncreated God created you and me in His image, in His likeness, just beneath Him. The message translation says we narrowly missed being Him. And He says as capital G-O-D, you are lowercase g-o-d-s's because you are all children. You are all sons of the Most High God. You are my offspring in the earth. Yes, sister. 
Yes. Amen. Well, absolutely, because he's the high priest. We're now kings and priests unto our God, so we're of the same order. For those of you who were listening and didn't hear what Sister Laura Jo had to say, is she's talking about order being the fit with um, the order of Melchizedek. And certainly we are priests of, unto our God according to that order, same order of priests. So there you go. Amen. If somebody's genius enough to figure out genus, amen. More power to you. Praise God. I mean, it has to do with characteristics, right? It has to do with similarities. Oh, I don't know. I just, I get excited. I, I, don't, I don't do, I do that once a year, and every time I get fired up about it. Praise God. All right. So are you, are you, are you connecting some things together here that, um, that need to be connected that are, that are very important, all right? Now, let me, um, I want to I take the time to do this, and, you know, amen, it's, uh, oh, thank you, Jesus. It, it's going to take me a minute. And, and it's, it's a little bit uh, tedious. And, and you almost just have to let it wash over you. Okay? In other words, to try to write all this down, it's, it's a little bit much. Okay? Um, yeah, thank you, Jesus. We're going to do it. All right, we're going to do it. Um, we were talking about this a little bit before, um, before class. Just, you know, the, the things that are in heaven that the Bible talks about that are living things that you know people on earth seeing those things trying to describe and explain them and you know creatures with multiple eyes and and all this other stuff and and while on one hand it may seem a bit far-fetched you know on the other hand when you look at some of the uh, uh, just alien looking creatures that come out of the ocean. I mean, you know, just, again, just the, the, the creativity of God. And, um, and that's, that's just with, within the limits of time and space. And, and so, you know, heaven's going to be an amazing place. Let me just, let me say it that way. Um, I saw recently where Albert Einstein's letter, and he was known for writing letters, and some of his letters have fetched hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they say this is one of his most famous letters. It was a letter that he wrote to his friend. He wrote it in German, the German language, but he wrote it to his German friend. And it basically had to do with his conclusions concerning God. And for the record, he's concluded that there is not one. Okay. And that his intense study of the Scriptures have basically left, left him believing that it's all just you know, made-up stuff that has no significant value. I hope he changed all that for, before he passed. Amen. And I, I was thinking about that, you know, if somebody, it interested me, and I, and I wanted to read that letter just to see, because I had heard that, that he, he was a, again, he's a Jewish man, that, that he was a believer in God. So, based on that letter, and that could have been at one stage in his life and later stuff I don't know about. But I was thinking about it, and, and, and this is really, it, it doesn't challenge my faith. It, if anything, it strengthens my faith because what this tells me is that one of the smartest men who ever lived couldn't find God with his intellect. Let's say it another way. If anybody was going to figure it out with their brain, it would have been Albert Einstein, but he didn't, right? I mean, theory, theory of relativity, all this stuff, right? Okay. 
But as we read last week, the basic reality of God is plain enough. Now, I think I've asked you this question once already in the course of our time together. I'm going to ask you again. Obviously, you already know the answer if you were here, but I'm doing it again just to direct our thoughts. What came first, man or man's purpose? Adam or Adam's purpose? And the answer is not a trick question. The answer is our purpose. And the reason that's important for us to understand is that God had a purpose in mind for us that He then created us in light of. When I tell you these three you know, questions dealing with your origin, your identity, and your purpose, they're all related, but there has to be an order in order for one to support, be supported by the, the others. Okay. But when we, when we talk about the, the, the reason that God created us, He already had that established and created us in light of it. So what that does then, as we understand more about what we are, as we understand more about who we are, and then ultimately why we are, it, it begins to help us connect with the reason we're here. Are you following what I'm saying? Let's go back to, I didn't say God create me in your image and likeness, don't create me at all. He chose that. But that tells me something about what He had in mind for me and for you. If He had had something else in mind, He would have created... Like for instance, the reason we don't have uh, you know, three arms is because we didn't, we didn't need them. If we would have needed three arms, we would have had three arms. And if we would had three, we would have just been asking for the fourth one. But the point, the point I'm, I'm making though is that, that God created us in light of a grand plan, a, an eternal purpose. Remember we talked about that. It, it, it's, it's, it's way, way more than anything that will ever be accomplished or fulfilled in, in this earth age, in this dispensation of time for planet earth. And so when you start looking at, at all these you know, different things that on the surface are just, I mean, it just blows religious tradition out of the water. I mean, it just like torpedoes it from both sides, right? I mean, it just, and, and again, it makes people uncomfortable, it makes people nervous, all right? So let's kind of step back from that for just a moment. Because the Bible says that, that we are um, fearfully and uh, wonderfully made. And, and when we start talking about the physical body. Remember, it's nothing more than the most sophisticated glove that's ever been created because the real you is not this outward shell, but it's the spirit that this shell contains. Your body is composed of something called genes and genes are composed of something called DNA. It's predicted that there are over 3 billion base pairs of DNA in the human genome. Human beings have approximately, it's a number that we can't comprehend, 10 trillion cells. 10 trillion cells. Your entire body is made up of 
much smaller entities known as human cells. In each of your 10 trillion cells, there is a single DNA code that is unique to you. This is why DNA has become such a powerful crime-solving tool. Because if there's good DNA evidence, it's undeniable. There's no way. Are you understand what I'm saying? It could be somebody else if there's a perfect match. Now, DNA, those of you who've never studied this, I'm going to make it really simple for you. DNA is made up of four chemicals. And just to simplify, those chemicals would be abbreviated as the letters capital A, capital T, capital G, and capital C. That's on the DNA side. On the RNA side, you would add a U, but again, we're just going to leave all that out tonight. It's even more complex than what I'm about to tell you. Now, these four letters representing these four chemicals are arranged in the human cell something like this. But as juvenile as this, it looks like some kid only had four letters on a keyboard that would work, and they just sit there and pecked away at it. Don't be deceived. The DNA that is in each cell of your body is the code that not only tells your cells what to do, but it has determined every minute detail about you. I have a little place on my index finger right there. I don't know if you can see that in the camera, right? A little place right there on my index finger. My daughter, who obviously shares my DNA, she has that spot right there. She has that freckle right there. Are you, are you, are you following me? Okay. Now, here's where it gets amazing. This is only a small example of what the DNA code looks like. It's actually billions of characters long. Three billion 
characters long to be exact. Now let me try to give you some idea. If we were to take one person's DNA information out of one cell in their body and read it out loud at the rate of three letters per second, night and day, it would take 31 years. Now that's, that would be like really interesting, right? Let's just, let's, just, let's just do this part just to get some idea of what that would feel like. No, I'm kidding, all right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. It's written. It's written. Those of you listening at home, sister was saying that's why they can go back. It's a book. Only a really, really long book with only four letters. No punctuation. No spaces. Okay? Now, are you ready? This three billion character code is in every one of your 10 trillion cells. Furthermore, it's been, it's been determined that 99.9% .9 of your DNA is similar to everyone's genetic makeup. What is uniquely you comes in the fractional difference in how these three billion letters are sequenced in your individual cells. Now, if you were walking along the beach and you were to see written in the sand, Mike loves Michelle. You know the waves. <laughs> they had a nerve back there, sister? Amen. Oh, okay. You would never think that the waves rolling up on the beach somehow formed those letters. But you would know that a person wrote it. Because it's a precise message. It's clear communication. In the same way, the DNA structure is a complex, three billion lettered script informing and directing the sales process. How can we explain this sophisticated messaging coding residing in our cells? But wait, there's more. In wartime, we do something called code. And so, for instance, George Washington in the Revolutionary War, he was a master at this. He would write letters that on the surface would seem to be talking about mundane things, uh, chores, stuff done around the farm, but within the writing there was hidden code that was bringing information that was not hidden. Not only do we have the code that is three billion characters long, we have code within the code that does specialized things within your body. And if that were not enough, 
that three billion character code is bidirectional. Meaning, it tells some cells what to do reading it this way, and it tells other cells what to do reading it that way. Are we really to believe that this all just randomly happened or fell in to place? I got more pages on that, but let me move on here. Praise God. Are you, are you, I'm just I'm trying to I'm trying to give you. You say, what does this have to do with you or God? Are you just trying to distract us? No, I'm, I'm trying to show you the, the, the amazing detail, the, 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 this idea that somehow we just evolved from monkeys. Are you, are you kidding me? And, and the, 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 the uniqueness of our existence and the God who created us and the purposes for which He created us. It's a phenomenal thing. It's a phenomenal thing. Amen? Here's what I want to offer tonight for your consideration. We were created by God, first of all, to bear His image in this created realm. We were created by God to rule and reign over all the works of His hands. We were created by God to know what He knows, to see what He sees, and to feel what He feels. He created us like Himself so that we could accomplish these things. Now I know we've left what for a moment to look at who and why, but I'm trying to get you to see. I'm not just trying to pick a fight with controversial Scriptures tonight. I believe ultimately we were created by God to have close, intimate fellowship and union with Him. And the Bible says exactly that. We were created by God like God to love God and be loved by God. We were created by God like God to have conversations with God. We were created by God like Him so that we could share our lives with Him and He could share His with us. We were created by God like God to be compatible with Him. Remember, if things are not comparable, then they are not compatible. One of God's laws is that two things should not be unequally yoked together. For instance, he said you should never put a bull, or an ox rather, and a, and a donkey or a mule under the same yoke for them to plow together. They are not compatible, they are not comparable, and they should not be joined together for the purpose of plowing. And yet Jesus says to you and me, come and take my yoke upon you, come and be yoked together with me, and learn from me. Amen. Now, I know I'm reading some things to you tonight. This class usually has a little bit different flavor than some of the others. One of the things that we know about God is that He is a relational God. 
I like to say it this way, that, that God is an eternal community and they live, exist in absolute communion. And we were created by God to be brought into that holy community with Him. C.S. Lewis had some comments on this. He, he calls this in his book, uh, I believe it's Mere Christianity, he calls this the great dance. I want to share a little bit with you from that tonight. I don't want to bore you with these things, but I want you, before we go any further, to gain some insight into the Trinity God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that created us, let us make man in our image after our likeness. It wasn't just that God the Father created us. It wasn't just that Jesus created us. It wasn't just that the Holy Spirit created us. But it was all three. And what we know about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is that they always agree. They've never had a disagreement. They've never had uh, an argument. They, they've, they've never, you know... Uh, got mad at each other and had to sleep on it. They operate in perfect harmony and in perfect union. And so when we say that, that we need insight into this three yet one God, it's because a three yet one God created us in their image, in their likeness. A little bit lower than them. Fearfully and wonderfully made created after Him, created from Him, again, with, a, with an eternal purpose in mind. We cannot simply try to let the temporary things of this world be what we use to make sense of our eternal existence. We have got to look into the heart of God as it is revealed to us from and through His Word by the Holy Spirit. If I could simplify these flowery words by just simply saying it this way, God, what were you thinking? Because it's only when we begin to understand what He's thinking that we can begin to grasp this concept of just exactly what it is that we are. First thing we said, I believe we failed to even mention this, it was on the slide. What is man? Number one, man is a God class being. Now, if that makes you nervous, I'm not trying to make you nervous. But I am trying to show it to you. Undeniably so in the scriptures. Let's begin again at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. Amen. I want to show you some things here. How much like God are we, and how much like us was Jesus? The question was, what was the second question? We'll deal with that second one at a later date. There, there are people who believe that Jesus came to this earth and they say He was fully God, fully man. Everything He did on this earth, He did as God. Um, I've heard it said many times that He was God with a little bit of skin pulled over Him. 
I personally do not believe that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus became one of us. That He emptied Himself of everything that made Him God. And He came to this earth and He humbled Himself. I'll show you all these Scriptures. Okay? Again, this makes people nervous. Because we think somehow we're taking something away from Jesus by saying He was a man. I believe it's just the opposite. What is a greater accomplishment? For Him to do what He did as God or for Him to do what He did as man? The greater accomplishment is for Him to accomplish or do what He did as a man. Now, I'll show it to you again in Scripture. The Bible says not only that, not only that He was a man, but that He had to become one of us in order to do for us what He did for us. Okay. Alright, but that's another class for another day. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now, I may come back to this passage. So if you want to stick a pen or a marker or something in there, I can put it back on the board. But on the screen. But let's go now, for strategic purposes, to Mark chapter 1. So Genesis 1. Now we're going to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and this time verse number 9. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 9. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Alright, Mark chapter 1 and verse number 9. I still hear some of you turning, so I'll give you a minute. Praise God. Amen. Everybody doing okay? Alright, Mark chapter 1 verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, He saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon Him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, why are we looking at a few verses from Genesis 1 and now a few more from Mark 1? The main thing I want you to see in these two passages is the presence of all three members of the Trinity in both instances. It's easier to see in Mark 1 because Jesus the Son is being baptized we know that it was the Holy Spirit who descended upon Him in the form of a dove and rested and remained upon Him. And then we hear God the Father speaking from heaven. You have to look a little closer in Genesis because Father God says, let there be light. God said, let there be light. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. So the question is, where was Jesus? Jesus, remember, is the Word of God. So Jesus is present here in, again, you'll never understand this through logic or intellect, only by faith, amen. But, but Jesus is present. We know He's present because John 1 begins in the same way as Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. 
All things that were created were created by Him and through Him. Nothing was made that was made without Him. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, in both of these situations, both of these passages, we see the presence of all three members of the Trinity and we see all three of them working together. In the first case, we see them working together to create the world. In the second one, in Mark, in Mark's passage, we see them working together to redeem the world that they created. To that specific, yes. The question was, is that the only two times we see them all, that all together? And, and the answer is yes. Now, when he says the earth was without form, it was empty, darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove, and God said, let there be light. The three parties active in the creation of the world, God, God's Spirit, and God's Word, through which He creates, we see the same three parties present at Jesus' baptism. The Father who speaks from heaven, the Son who is the Word being baptized, and once again, the Spirit hovering or fluttering. Now, the idea of a triune God, again, it's one of those things that we will never fully embrace through intellect. There are some things that will only be understood if they're understood by faith. I, for years, to try to give some comparable parable to help us bridge the gap, I've used the concept of H2O. And of course we know that H2O can come in the form of a liquid that perhaps water would be the one that we most quickly think of, but water can be also frozen and be a solid, or it can become vapor or steam. In each three of these, water, you know, liquid, ice, steam, we have H2O at the very essence of each of these, yet we have different forms of each of these. And because there's a different form, you don't do with ice what you do with steam. It's a different function. Are you following me? I'm not saying, please, if you think this is a perfect uh, explanation of the Trinity, you're, you're misunderstanding me. This is by no means a perfect explanation of a three yet one God. But what we do have on earth is one substance that's in three different forms, yet at the same time is, is the same or is identical. Now, we're not talking about three different gods all working together in harmony, nor are we talking about one God taking different forms at different times. Whereas God the Father is God the Father, God the Son is God the Son. It's not that sometimes God is the Father and sometimes He's the Son and sometimes He's the Holy Spirit. They're all three God. I know I said this earlier, but that you know, some people believe that, that you know, when someone passes that they go to heaven to be an angel. That's wrong. And then there are some people who, again, if you don't know, you don't know, we're learning. 
There's some people who believe, and I try to always point it out when I mention this, that Jesus only came into existence at, at Christmas time when he, was, when he was born on this earth. No, no. What we celebrate at Christmas is when the eternal, uncreated Son of God becomes a Son of Man. When He comes to the earth through the, 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 the passageway, through the, the, vin, through the, uh, the, the means of, of a birth canal. But He was present at creation. Amen. He's the eternal Son of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor Mark, you just, you, 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 you know, I'm not sure, it's hard for me to believe all this. It's hard for me to write. Third, three billion character DNA. Amen. Somebody really smart wrote that. In, in over a, how many trillion cells in your body? Times how many trillion people have ever lived on planet Earth or ever will live? Amen. Okay. All right. So we're talking about a big God here, right? I sometimes say this to help us again. None of this can get you all the way there. It can only, if you use it, it'll get you close. It's like, remember we said, I teach this in tier two a lot. I teach it some here at Heritage. But all a parable does is take the kingdom, slows it down, brings it close. Because one's physical and one's, one's spiritual. All you can do with things like this is, is get them close and slow it way down. But if you're going to jump from the dock into the boat, it's going to take a leap of faith. That's why Jesus, that's, that's the instrumentation of a parable. Jesus would tell a story about heaven to slow heaven down and bring it close enough so that anybody who wanted to take a leap of faith into the kingdom could do so. So in the same way, we can talk about these things that, that you know, we're basically replacing one thing our mind can't comprehend with another thing that our mind can't comprehend but at least, you know, we know one is true because it's physical and therefore it leads us to bridge that gap over into somebody really smart, much smarter than us, um, come up with all this. Amen? Amen. I, I use this example, right? My puppy's smart, but he's not as smart as me. Okay? Right? Pretty, maybe... So it's pretty arrogant for me to think that although I'm smarter than him, that there's no one smarter than me. I'm mean, when I say smarter than me, smarter than us. But but clearly there is. Amen. Clearly there is. So one God in three persons. But what we also see from the scriptures is that these three persons one God in three persons, that they both know one another and they love one another. Come on now, that's good news. They love one another and they know one another. You say, how do, how do, you, how do you get that, Pastor Mark? Jesus comes out of the water completing an act of obedience to His Father. The Father blesses, confirms, and covers Jesus with words of love and praise. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus to assist Him, to help Him, and empower Him to complete the mission that is ahead of Him. Timothy Keller says of all these events that this is exactly what has been happening in the interior life of the Trinity from all eternity. Mark in his Gospel is giving us a glimpse into the very heart of reality, the meaning of life, the essence of the universe 
that this three yet one God created. Come on now, this is some heavy stuff. And it's going to get a little bit heavier before we're done tonight. But I, I, want, you to, I want you to dial in with this for a moment. All right, I'm going to read some stuff to you from C.S. Lewis. I'm going to read some stuff to you uh, from Timothy Keller. Um, simply because these men, I believe, have been inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak on this and have, have done at least up until now as good a job as any uh, has, has ever done uh, to communicate um, these things. Let me read to you, uh, first of all, from C.S. Lewis. Are you good tonight? Are you blessed? Come on now, don't, don't zone out on me. This is important, alright? This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, Christians believe that the living dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. And that, by the way, is perhaps the most important difference between Christianity and all other religions. That in Christianity, God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. And now, what does it all matter? It matters more than anything else in the world. This whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each one of us. Or putting it the other way around, each one of us has got to enter that pattern, take his place in that dance. There is no other way to happiness for which we were made. Um, Cornelius Plantinga, theologian, comments on this. He develops this further, noting that the Bible says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit glorify one another. The persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, and defer to one another. Each divine person harbors the others at the center of his being, in constant movement of overture and acceptance. Each person envelops and encircles the others. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for others. Ooh, sweet Jesus, now, come on. You, you, you fixing the, we, we prayed to prayer in the early days of heritage, and God's still answering. Our Heavenly Father's still answering that simple cry from our heart. And that simple cry from our heart was, was this, without pretense or competition, we want to know Him like few people have ever known Him on planet Earth. A heart to know God. This family of faith was born from that simple desire. Not to compete. Not to try to be the biggest church in town. Not, not to try to put on some show and, and impress people. We come together for one simple reason. And that is we want to know our Creator because our Creator created us to know Him. And there's a whole lot of lies that are being told about our God. There's a whole lot of things that people are confused about when it comes to His true nature. Remember, God doesn't have love. God doesn't just give love. God is love. He is love. Amen. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they exalt each other, commune with each other, defer to one another. Each divine person harbors the others at the center of His being. They're in constant movement of overture and acceptance. Each person envelops and encircles the others. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for others. Guess what? That includes you. Did we not read in John 17? The love, the same love that He loves Jesus with, He loves you with. Let me pick it back up from Timothy Keller. 
The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each centering on the others, adoring and serving them. And because the Father, Son, and Spirit are giving glorifying love to one another, God is infinitely, profoundly happy. Think about this. If you find somebody you adore, someone for whom you would do anything, and you discover that this person feels the same way about you, does that feel good? It's sublime. That's what God has been enjoying for all eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are pouring love and joy and adoration into the other, each one serving the other. They are infinitely seeking one another's glory. And so God is infinitely happy. And if it's true that this world has been created by this triune God, then ultimate reality is a dance. Put in my notes in all caps, emboldened. Beware of self-centeredness. Because self-centeredness is the opposite to how all of this, and when I say all of this, I'm talking about you as an individual. You were never meant, meant to be focused upon yourself. And when we turn inward, even the fearfully and wonderfully made body that God created is negatively impacted, both physiologically, mentally, as well as emotionally. So much of the epidemic of depression and anxiety that is plaguing our nation today, it could be resolved in a split second if we would simply get our eyes off of ourselves and quit thinking so much about ourselves and start doing something for somebody else. C.S. Lewis called the Trinity a dance because they each center upon and orbit around the others. Selfishness puts you at the center and demands that everything revolve orbit around you. Timothy Keller comments on this, and I've mentioned this recently in a sermon here at Heritage. He says, I want you to for a moment picture ten ballerinas all on the stage to do a production, but each one of those ballerinas are demanding that the other nine dance around her. That's not how it works, is it? The, the ballet is beautiful in principle. Maybe you're not into that sort of thing. But what makes the ballet beautiful is when two or more people dance around one another. But if everyone's on the stage demanding that everybody else dance around them, and yet is that not what we see so much of in our world today? Let me pick back up on a quote from Timothy Keller. The Trinity is utterly different. Instead of self-centeredness, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are characterized in their very essence by mutually self-giving love. No person in the Trinity insists that the others revolve around Him. Rather, each of them voluntarily circles and orbits around the others. If this is ultimate reality, if this is what the God who made the universe is like, then this truth bristles and explodes with life-shaping, glorious implications for us. If this world was made by a triune God, relationships of love are what life is really all about. God is love. Lewis points out that the only way it is possible for God to be love is for God to be more than one person. For love can only exist in a relationship. Keller says it this way, 
But if from all eternity, without end and without beginning, ultimate reality is a community of persons knowing and loving one another, then ultimate reality is about love relationships. Some would say, well, He created the world so we can have beings who give Him worshipful love. Please hear me. Please hear me. Some would say, well, He created the world so we can have beings who give Him worshipful love. And that would give Him joy. But the triune God already had that. And He received love within Himself in a far purer and more powerful form than we human beings can ever give Him. So, why would He create us? There's only one answer. He must have created us not to get joy, but to give it. He must have created us to invite us into the dance. To say, if you glorify Me, if you center your entire life on Me, if you find Me beautiful for who I am in Myself, then you will step into the dance, which is what you are made for. You are made not just to believe in Me or to be spiritual in some general way. Not just to pray and to get a bit of inspiration when things are tough. You are made to center everything in your life on Me. To think of everything in terms of your relationship to Me. To serve Me unconditionally. That's where you'll find your joy. That's what the dance is about. Are you in the dance or do you just believe God is out there somewhere? Are you in the dance or do you just pray to God every so often when you're in trouble? Are you in the dance or are you looking around for someone to orbit around you? If life is a divine dance, then you need more than anything else to be in it. That's what you're built for. You are made to enter into a divine dance with the Trinity. The dance was not created for you, but you for it. Wow. Man, I get fired up on that right there. Do you realize John 13 and 34, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new commandment now. Up until this point, every command He had given were commands from the Old Testament. Even love your neighbor as yourself. Even... Even love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When He was asked what are the two greatest commandments, Jesus quoted the two greatest ones from the old. And that was to love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. But in John 13, 34, Jesus says, alright, brace yourself now. I'm about to give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Now this is kind of like when Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were like, well, who, who even needs to try then? Because, if we, because they were thinking that righteousness was about outward conformity. Righteousness, remember, is something you become, receive as a gift, and become through the new birth. I'm sure when they first heard this, they were either confused by it or somehow thought that, well, okay, we can do it. But the reality of it is this. When you're born again, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And the Holy Spirit inside of you is now pouring out the love of God in your heart. And Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, He would be like rivers, plural with an S, rivers of living water. The rivers of living water that the Holy Spirit brings into your innermost being are not just meant for you, but they're meant to flow inside of you, out from you. So because God, the Holy Spirit of God, lives inside of you and He's pouring out the love of God inside of you, we can now fulfill the new commandment of Jesus, love other people, love other people as He has loved us because we now have the capacity to love other people with His love. Do you realize now 
that if you'll give yourself to Him and enter into this dance with Him, that you can love other people. And when you get through loving them, amen, tongue-in-cheek, when you get finished loving them, it will be no different than if Jesus Himself had come alongside and loved them personally. There are so many things that we were created by God to do that would be out of reach for us if He had not made us God-class beings. It's important to note that God alone, as I've already said, made the decision to create us this way. I did not choose this. He chose this for me. Now, we can't forget enmity here. We can't forget enmity here. Remember what we said enmity is? Carnal mind is enmity against God. Enmity is when God says it this way and we say it's not. Enmity is when God says you're righteous because you've been born in my spirit and we say, no, I'm not. Or you're disagreeing with Him. You're saying that it's not, it's not true. It's not the case. Not me. Can't be me. No way. That's wrong. Surely the Bible doesn't mean that, right? So again, enmity here is, is critical that we recognize the danger of it. Let me give you two more verses. We're about out of time. Can you believe, has this been the fastest class yet, I think? My goodness. Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to see these next two, so just turn there with me. Ephesians 5, and we'll finish at Ephesians 5, then one more, Matthew 5. But let's go Ephesians 5 first. You're a God-class being. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. You're a God-class being. What in the world am I? I'm a God-class being, number one. Hallelujah. Amen. Sometimes you have to practice some of these stronger truths, brother, so I understand. Stand in the mirror and practice it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 from the New King James Version. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. There's a book that I've either read or listened to now, I think it's three times, maybe parts of it even more than that. It's called The Jesus Manifesto. And I don't have it in front of me. Sweet, two men wrote it. Sweet, and I forget the last name. I can get it for you if you're interested. Um, text me, email me. They brought something out from this passage that really was life-changing for me. And they basically said it this way. They said, imagine that you are an aspiring piano player and every day of your life you were told to imitate Beethoven. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he's a once, yeah, I mean, he's a rare talent. I mean, how, you know. But yet we sometimes get that same concept when we're told to be like Jesus. He said the good news of the gospel 
is not be like Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has made you a new creation and has come to live inside of you because ultimately He wants to live through you. So the analogy goes, instead of be like Beethoven, what if Beethoven could come and live inside of you and play the piano through you? See, religion always wants to make it about a struggle when that's not what Jesus came. He came to set us free from that struggle. Be imitators of God as dear children. We, we could never imitate God if we were not created in His image and in His likeness. How could a non-God class being imitate God in the earth? Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave Himself for us. Alright, one last passage. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. I'm sorry, I'm not giving you time to turn. I hear you turning. We're almost there. Matthew chapter 5. You get anything out of this tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Alright, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, from the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, How many of you read the Sermon on the Mount before? <laughs> okay. Pretty, pretty, you know, basic reading. Good stuff. I mean, if you haven't, please. Greatest sermon ever preached. All right. But for those of you who've read it, I mean, what did you do with these verses? See, this is, what, this is, this is the thing. What we often hear about these verses is turning the other cheek. What we hear from these verses is this unrealistic expectation right, of doing good to people who don't treat us so well, right? And, and we miss what he's saying here. He's saying this is the kind of agape love. Love is an act of the will. Love that doesn't involve warm, fond, affectionate feelings. That's philo. This is agape. Philo is when you want to go fishing with somebody. Agape is when you love somebody that you would much rather avoid or get as far away from as you possibly can. People read this and they think, well, this is impossible. How could I ever have warm, fond, affectionate feelings for somebody who's wronged me? He's not talking about warm, fond, affectionate feelings. Again, that's philo. He's talking about agape. He's talking about you standing up, raring up, and loving somebody as an act of your will and doing good for somebody, praying for somebody, blessing somebody who's cursed you, right? as an act of your will. This is what it means to be an imitator of God as dear children to walk in love. 
right? And notice he says that when you do this, it's not that you can do this and earn your salvation. When he says you'll be sons of your Father in heaven, he says when you do this, you're being a chip off the old block. You're doing what your daddy does. You're living like your daddy lives. You're bearing his image in this created realm, right? And so you will be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That word perfect, again, means complete. It means come full circle. It means to fulfill, right? To be fulfilled. So he says that when we love like he loves, we're chip off of his block, and we are completing our purpose on the earth in the same way he completes his purpose in heaven. Amen. You can heap coals on the enemy. Praise God. All right. Well, we got. I was hoping to finish this section tonight. We we didn't get there. Are you getting? I know I've asked you this so many times. I'm, I always try to check your pulse a little bit. You know, make sure you're still out there. You know, heart pumping. Amen. I'm not trying to rip that religious stuff out of there and 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 pull some good stuff along with it. All right. Um, let me pray for you, Father. Thank you. For this time together this evening, thank You for the things that You're saying to us. Father, we've covered a lot of ground. We've looked at some astonishing things. And Father, I just simply trust Your Holy Spirit to help us process it all. Uh, Lord, that You would help us, Lord, not just to be able to repeat or regurgitate these things, but that You would help these things become woven into our very personality, Lord, our, our, our very attitude towards life and others and You towards our, our future, our purpose, our destiny, Lord. And we thank You for good things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.